Gaming NBS episode 211. Coming to you Wednesday, October 3rd, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS, tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brad. Welcome to the show, folks. Glad to have everybody on board. We are recording uh, this. Brett probably doesn't know this, but we're actually recording this on- This is in- podcast day? International podcast day. Yes. I, I was aware. I, I do follow the social medias. Wow. And and I do follow you, so I see you posting stuff like this. Oh, too shit. Like, huh. Neat. Neat. Yeah. So if you listen to this, thank you. <laughs> well, hell yeah. <laughs> of course. Yes. Thank you. And if you know of others that you, so here's the deal on international podcasting. Just let somebody know about podcasting that doesn't know about it. Show them like how to subscribe to, to a podcast. Tell them about a podcast you enjoy doesn't even have to be us. It's just, it's one of doesn't, those things where you, you get people like, hey, it's a really cool form of entertainment or information, and uh, it's a great way to be part of a community. There's some hunting ones I subscribe to. There's um, Wayne Humfleet was telling me about some of the other different mythology ones and lots of cool shit out there. So I got a guy I work with who's big into Bigfoot, of all things. So he's got Sasquatch stuff, uh, podcasts all over the place, conspiracy theory stuff. I mean... It's out there and it's it's cool. So anyway, take a look. It's it's a really cool way to be part of a community and kind of hear what's going on. Indeed. So yeah. There you go. Anything else, Sean? Are we good? Shall we? Announcement? Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, Evercon um dot org. That's coming up, as I have said before. Our badge registration is open. Thirty five bucks for the weekend. Um, and that is of course in January. Um, I think, let's see here, um, nothing crazy new. We've had more events popping in. We've got a couple more vendors showing up um, because we run our convention in January, which is funny. Somebody will always say, well, that's a terrible time to run a con. There is no good time to run a gaming convention. There's always a reason why you shouldn't run it then. Alex uh, Kammer from Gamehole, we've had this discussion multiple times. Anyhow, um, our con is January, Friday, 4th, Saturday, the 5th, and Sunday, the 6th. So evercon.org, get out there, take a look. And of course, there's this other convention starting in like a month, um, GameholeCon, GameholeCon.com. So check that sucker out. I think, by the, well, by the time this drops, if I'm correct, Sean, no more pre-reg. It's at the door only, if I'm correct. That's right. They're shutting down pre-reg badges and then they're shutting down event submissions yes now that doesn't mean you can't run events as a matter of fact they will have a sign up there where you can say hey i'm like i don't i don't know if they're going to do it on the big screens they usually have at least a place where you could walk up they've had a a whiteboard whiteboard in the past type of thing and the other pieces too if you want to sean and i um we're gonna have a booth there right yeah yeah we will we have a booth there so what we try to do is sometimes people come up and say, hey, is I'm, I'm going to run a game. Do you know anybody who wants to play? And we've had people stop by and I've pimped their game for them and helped help their off-grid game get 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 some action. So GameholeCon does have plenty of off-grid gaming as well. And by off-grid, for those of you who aren't familiar with that phrase, what that means is it's not an official, quote-unquote, sanctioned. It's not in the convention booklet, right? It's just a game that, say, Sean and Brett say, hey, I'm going to throw together an Avalon game. I got five character sheets. Who's in? You know, you can do that. And it's welcome, and people have a good time doing it. So anyway, that is also available. So I plan on, I think the goal is for me to run a game off-grid, at least one more. I'm only running one game, and I'm signed up for zero others. And depending on how things are set up for the seminars – if we can record some of them, great. But I don't want to dink around too much with gear and, you know, if they've got something set up, dicking around with that like we did last year. We just didn't find a way where I could just hook up a recorder and they already had mics in place. So we'll see. Yeah. And that's – and yeah, so I, you and I talked about this before. I'm hoping to run some stuff off grid as well. So my kids are coming again this year. So that'll be fun. My yeah, two, my two little fun. ones. So if yeah. nothing else – they're going to want to play and do different things, and yeah, we'll have some fun. There'll be some happy salmon because my kids are there. That means there's happy salmon. 
Happy salmon. That will happen. All right. Anything else, man? No. All right, random encounter. Random encounter. Okay, we got a few lengthy ones this week. Not Nothing too bad. Not, I mean, nothing like five pages or anything, but good girth. Good girth. I like good girth. All right, uh, okay, I'll start. Go ahead. Roman emailed us. He said, hey, fellas, I'm just wondering your opinion on ability damage in 5e. This leads to something you and I are going to talk about in a couple episodes, Sean. Anyway, ooh, ooh, I'm running a pa- teaser. 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 Uh, Roman continues. I'm running a Pathfinder adventure. I've converted to fifth edition. Actually, we started in Pathfinder several years ago and put on hold when my daughter was born. Uh, we left it with two books remaining. Instead of going back to that old clunky bookkeeping, heavy, impossible to jam high level system. Ooh, sounds like Roman's got opinions. <laughs> I decided to convert it to 5th edition to finish it out. For the most part, that conversion has been pretty simple. Players are having fun, but monster encounters have not been much of a challenge to them. It's more of a 5th edition problem, not a conversion problem, I think. The challenge problem has been exacerbated by the ridiculously overpowered weapons I created for each character. That, looking back, I think I wrote more for more from a regular player perspective than a GM perspective, but I digress. One of the ways I think it could make it more of a challenge for the players is by leaving in the ability damage that exists in several monsters or trap encounters of the original Pathfinder script. The party doesn't have a cleric or much of a spellcaster besides um, the playtest Magus, and who has uh, no access to greater restoration. Am I a dick to leave in ability damage knowing this? Or do I keep the stance I've convinced myself of that, hey, it's not my fault if you don't play a, if you don't have a party cleric? Keep up the good work, fellas. Love the show. Roman. Sean, what do you think? Oh boy, that's a that's a whole can of worms right there. That is a can of worms. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I would say. I would say Roman, Roman here, man. Here's what I would say. Um, if you if all monsters previously were doing this type of damage, and they were used to that, that's just what happened, and so on and so forth. There is no reason not to do not to bring it back. It's not like you'd be like surprising them with. There's never been this type of ability damage. They've never had this happen to us before. Oh, my God. If they actually played Pathfinder for a very long time with you through this, they should be used to ability damage. Now, the challenge, of course, is you've not had ability damage for I don't know how many sessions. So bringing it back in might be one of those things you want to ease in. Like one encounter, the creature does X. And like, holy crap, ability damage. Oh, my God. I remember that. Oh, shit. It's back. And then they become more and more cautious. Um, from my perspective, if the party in a D&D type game and a fantasy game or anywhere else where there is lots of hit points being slung and hacked and chopped and axes and swords and maces flying and the spells slinging, if they don't have a cleric or a way to um, deal with healing on a rapid basis, that's not your problem. That's theirs. That's usually how I uh, how I approach it because it's, they made that decision consciously not to have anyone in the party who's a cleric but to have healing powers. Well, all right. That's the... Uh, that's the arm you chose to tie behind your back. Good luck to you. That's how I see it. Wow. What do you think, Sean? Smack down. Boom. Drop it. Do you agree? What do you what do you think? I should do. he should he do the should he should he rip people's hit or uh, ability scores apart? Well, if he's giving them the the powered weapons, the ridiculously overpowered weapons. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean you gotta, you gotta even those scales again somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Quid pro quo, yo. Yeah, I think you can bring it back, Roman. Thank you, Sean, you're agreeing with me. We can pull him back. I think one thing that players need to understand is if they're facing an issue, maybe metagaming-wise, in this instance, the example is lack of a cleric, well, how do you solve it in-game? We should go hire a healer. We, we should maybe run to the church and talk to somebody. Hey. And then somebody metagames and says, hey, you know what? Um, you know, R- Ragnar, the, the dwarven thief, he's he's been fun and all, but I could really, can I swap him out for a cleric? <laughs> or can I play two characters for a while? So there's, uh, yeah, there's you can you can have that conversation too. If it so, drives him to go get a cleric, hey, why not? <laughs> Excuse me, I think it's totally legit. I think it's legit, Roman. Start draining ability scores and uh, see if they can handle it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you don't know if you're going to be able to. I mean, you got to attack these guys and score a hit here and there. Yeah, and as I said, if you if you started in slow, like one or two creatures in an encounter, and they go, fuck me, oh my God, these things are doing ability damage. You know, 
forewarned is forearmed, so they've been told, and they see the same type of creature coming up again, And except there's 20 of them this time. Well, by Jove, I bet they're a little more nervous. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's doable. My advice would be to not hammer them with, like, you know, a small army of things that suddenly drain ability scores. Start off with one thing or two small little cadre of them, and uh, they'll get the quick taste for it. They'll know it's coming, and then you can whale the hell out of them. There you go. All right, Ted writes in. This is regarding episode 210, We Greyhawk It. I was curious if either of you have experience with Earth Dawn. Brett, have you had experience with Earth Dawn? I have not. I have a friend of mine who played Earth Dawn at Gen Con the year it came out and had a horrible experience, but that was a Game Master problem, not the game problem. Carry on. I would have to say that I do not have experience with Earth Dawn either, but I know of it. And if you can comment on the way it manages loot, uh, if you are unfamiliar with it, it's a great system to mine for both mechanical and milieu ideas. One of the many interesting aspects of the game is that magic items and gear grows with the character. This is because magic items and gear are all rather common and all are legendary. The backstory on this is that the world just survived a massive invasion of the horrors, Lovecraftian creatures who feed off the torture they inflict. The races all constructed magical items and weapons to defeat the the horrors. Mankind lost, except for small enclaves. The horrors retreated, and now the races are crawling out of their hidden enclaves. It's a high fantasy version of the post-apocalyptic story. Instead of radiation, it's magic and blood. Instead of ray guns, eh, ain't ray gun. It's wands, staffs, staffs, swords, and bows. So, as a level one character, that sword you find on your first adventure can grow with you over time as you discover more of its history and why it was created. And it's most likely that the sword you find near your enclave will be something you're very legendary as the people defending your enclave will have successively defended it with their lives and they would have died right outside your home. However, as a level one character, you don't know a whole lot about the weapon and you don't know how to use it. So you have to go on quest to unlock its full potential. Seems like a cakewalk. Yeah, how hard could that be? It's easy game. <laughs> easy to win game. Easy to, I mean, how could you? <laughs> easy win, easy win. There's more to it, but I'm going to interrupt you for a second. This is, it's interesting. I think someone has brought this to our attention before about Earth Dawn, and, and perhaps there's another system that does this where magic items grow with you. Now, we've talked about over the over the years here, having an item that unlocks or you discover more interesting things about it as a way to make a magic item interesting. So it's cool to know that there's a system that does that mechanically. Very neat. Back to you, Sean. Someone can also create or extend a magic item if they use it to perform a heroic deed. For example, your character kills some greater horror that is still lurking around in the more magical places of Earth that are now far away from your home. With a weapon, can can be imbued with bonuses associated with that heroic act. This sort of system allows you to avoid the sameness of each character as each piece of a gear of gear becomes a customized item. It also means that if you yeah, it also means that if someone else were to find the same item you have, their item might be different than yours depending on how the GM, DM, judge runs the adventures. This approach, though, suffers from the same problems that you see in computer games like Diablo or World of Warcraft, where your gear and your skills and your whole build of a character is min-maxed to a certain playstyle, and if you want to play another style or character say going from Frost Mage to Fire Mage, your character's gear is no longer suited for that new style. This may might be an interesting way to merge the various approaches. Okay, well. I also think it's interesting in some systems like Mutant Crawl Classics where some classes are much more dependent on the Greyhawk approach, Sentinels, than others, Plantians. The pure, strain human sentinels are always looking for ways to recharge the batteries in their gear, and they are always looking for better gear as that's the way they scale up the to-hit and damage curves as they level. While the various mutants are looking at maximizing the roles that determine on how their mutations interact, 
with the real world. So a plantient wants the glow burn, luck specifically, because they regenerate two times level of luck every day, as much as possible every time they level a passive mutation. Okay. Oosh. The plantient doesn't really care about the gear because really how can Groot wear fully articulated power armor and why would he want to if he could transform his skin into diamond shards? You know, that was my question. As mine. <laughs> right. I've not played Mutant Crawl Classics, but I know guys like Forrester Gary and others have, you know, the Glowburn podcast and so on. So interesting, interesting. Yeah, with James Walls. Over yes. Yeah. Keep going, keep going. All right. So wrapping it up, you guys do a, a great job. My only comment would be is that I wish I could listen to the podcast with my five-year-old in the car, <laughs> but you talk like my wife and I talk when the kids aren't around. So I wait until I drop them off at school, and then I switch to your podcast. Well, shit. Sorry about that. Yeah. That's, well, you know. <laughs> oh, well. I'll tell you what, though, Ted. That's that's pretty damn interesting. I like the um, I like the idea. It, it's just a different way. And when you mentioned the Mutant Crawl Classics, just different methods. We asked for this, right? Different methods and ways that mechanically happen um, to make loot different or make it important in different ways. So I like the Earth on stuff and um, what you're saying about Mutant Crawl Classics. That's interesting, too. Just where two different groups within that game have different approaches to what they need to do in order to improve and, uh, and get better and so on. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's cool. And I don't know the context because I haven't ran or played in Earth on. But as long as that's not the. Like, it seems very, a, a very interesting core piece of the game. Yeah, I guess that, so that's the point you're talking, though, is that, is it core? Is it, like, the only thing you do type of thing? Is that the core activity? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I don't think it is, but. No, it, I don't believe it would be. It obviously plays quite a part when, with gear. It's clearly important. Yeah. Cool, very cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. All right. <clears throat> what do we got here? Ah, Hawk Sparrow com- commented back on the Smash Cut episode. Smash Cut, great show. Thanks for bringing it up. I have a background in audiovisual production, so this episode hits close to home. To give my comments a little more context, it's important to understand my DM experience level. The majority of my experiences come over the past three years with one group. I've run a sandbox campaign using the pre-published 5e materials as inspiration. My players do what they want to do, and they usually go where they want. I will admit, at first, DMing really kind of (laughs) sucked. There was just too much going on. I wasn't comfortable with the rules. felt like my players were a lot better at than I was. But over time, I began to enjoy DMing more and more. I guess my scar tissue is thick enough. (laughs) That happens. Um, Scar tissue is thick enough now that I have really branched out and begun developing my own style. This brings us back to the smash cut. If you watch a TV show closely, over time you'll know, you'll start to notice that there's a multitude of different ways that directors and producers move from one scene to the next. Fade cuts and wipes are just three of them. Like Brett said, the smash cut is an awesome way to transition from one location to the next. As a DM, just include some descriptions so things don't get confusing. I've gone so far as to deliberately run my game like it's an episode of everyone's favorite TV show. <clears throat> we begin with opening credits, which are a great way to recap last week's action, introduce new NPCs or, or plant story hooks. The players even pick a theme song, Bonanza. <laughs> it's a hoot. During play, I encourage the players to describe uh, their plays if they're describing how the viewing audience would see it. I try to do the same thing when highlighting cool things that the audience would see as a result of what is going on around the players. It seems to work, work really well. Anyway, thanks again for bringing this up. It was a fun consi- it was fun considering how, how the Cut, Smash, and Beyond have improved our games. Cheers. Cool, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, you know, Hawk. You know, I got to say, Hawk, a lot of guys have mentioned this, not just guys, men and women, all sorts of folks have mentioned this um, on other other podcasts or to Sean and I over the years of, you know, one, a way that people have described, you know, how do you explain RPGs to other people? A lot of times they're saying it's like an episodic TV show is one thing that kind of gets, gets people like, oh, it's similar to that. It's similar to so many different things, right? But I have noted in some of the podcasts I listen to, a leaning to um, that TV, the TV show approach, not quite as far as you've gone, which I think is actually pretty cool, Hawk. But I know I do notice a lot of people using kind of leaning into that example. I don't know if that's just 
colored by the folks I'm listening to or what, but I see people leaning into that more and more. Huh, interesting. Kind of, and then you hear games like Monster of the Week and so forth. You're like, hey, <laughs> how much more on the nose do you need to be? Anyway, pretty good stuff. Very cool. Over to you, Sean. All right. Shane Freeman wraps it up for us this week as he replies to episode 210 where we Greyhawk it, a.k.a. loot. On episode 210, I think you're both right in that loot was extremely important to 1E and 2E D&D. Magic items were especially important to advancing character capabilities, and we all learned quickly to search everything after a battle. But 5E has changed the power economy so that magic items are not as necessary. And yet my players are still looking for all that loot. Ah. It's a reflex. This- it's a reflex, man. It's like going to the doctor and having to hit your knee with a little rubber mallet. Your leg kicks. Bodies are down. Loot. It's it's just a reflex now. Right. To combat this, I have been using a lot of single or limited use magic items, such as the hag magic items uh, from Volo's guide. The jar of bees that works as a healing potions potion as the bees use their stingers to sew wounds closed is a shocking addition to the narrative uh, narrative of the game. Magic elven swords that stay perpetually sharp instead of being plus one made the fighters very happy. Cool. This lets the players still have their loot and doesn't unbalance the game and lets me make new and interesting simple magic items more useful and keeps Monty Hall in his tomb. (laughs) A number of episodes back, I don't remember where the hell it says, we talked about different types of magic items and just gear and and the types of loot in the past, especially magic items. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm a big fan of the jar of bees, you know, with the, where they use the stingers, um, the the sword that's sharp perpetually, the um, the scabbard that allows the blade never to break. Something just simple like that. It doesn't. It's not crazy, but the fighter knows, hey, this sword won't shatter. That's pretty fucking cool. So that's kind of hel- that's kind of helpful. Yeah, I really I like that. And I think you are right, Shane. That's a good way in a 5e type of game <clears throat> where the power curve does not require you to have a plus two sword to hit the monster or whatever it is. Then the PCs have the classes have their own and races have their own power curves by providing because we're still going to look for loot. It's kind of baked into the game, but change it up, you know, have that somebody finds the uh, the pipe that never needs to be refilled. You know, they can always have a fresh pipe of of uh, tobacco whenever they want to have. You know, you drink anything out of this goblet, it's perpetually the, the finest wine you've ever had. No other magical quality, just that. Um, I've, I have uh, I remember one time coming up with a, <clears throat> just on the spot, the guys had encountered, um, it was a dining area, and all the bowl, every, I described every place setting had the same, same style bowl and cup, knife, fork, spoon. Just everything was the same. They assumed that, wow, it's all the same. In this camp, it must be kind of interesting in this little dining tent. What is this all about? Well, I decided that, oh, if you eat using this stuff, whatever you eat tastes amazing. The best possible flavor the thing could have is what you're going to have. And they just thought that was fucking awesome, which allowed them to take all the nasty hardtack <laughs> and gruel and crap that they had to eat on their long, crazy adventure and at least make it flavorful. So it was like had no in-game piece other than just a potential morale boost. So uh, it was kind of, it was fun. So I've had a good experience with it. And uh, Shane sounds like you are as well. So keep it up, man. That's good stuff. So I'm going to have a link in the show notes to, and I haven't, I haven't seen all of her stuff on YouTube, but a, a buddy of mine turned me on to her. And I, I have to admit he, the way, so I'm just going off what he explained to me and what she's doing, um, with, which is Dale Kingsmill. Um, and I'll put a link in die roll for her but my understanding is that she comes up with some of the more creative ways to narrate some of the things that may happen in a game so i say this because of shane on how he talks about um you know the bees using their stingers to sew wounds closed right she comes up with like i know one of the ones that came up was thieves can't so how do you role play or what is Thieves Can't and how does that? Because the, the description is like next to nothing. Watch the second Ocean's Eleven movie, Ocean's Twelve. And the scenes where Matt Damon and those guys are working and Matt Damon completely fucks it up. That's Thieves Can't. That's how that is. Sure. 
but there's other there's other things she mentions that you can use for ah, okay. Thieves Can't, like gestures, speaker yep. handshakes, kind of stuff like that. But anyways, it I think we get into a very um we, we you and I should have a challenge, Brett. We should have a challenge about a scenario mechanically and how would you narrate it? Oh, to, to, to make get the, it more interesting. Yeah. Or similitude, make it cool, make it feel like right. it really is there. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. a healing potion, maybe it doesn't have to be a healing potion. Maybe it's an alternative where it's like something. No. Okay. No, I like that. I like that. Honey that's... salve you put on somebody that's. Yes. Okay. No. Okay. Yeah. We could do that. Maybe it's not the salve that heals the person, but it's by applying it, it brings fruit flies to the person and the fruit flies heal the wound. That's weird. Some insecty thing that's attracted by the salve. That could work. You know what I'm talking about. You I know do. what I'm getting at, Brett? I do. I am picking up what you were putting down. Oh, man, it's about time. <laughs> Should we go to random en- or random encounter? Main topic. Yeah, do it. Right, Brett, the inevitable question. What the hell are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so, Sean, you're running tumor of annihilation, correct? I am. So we talked about that a little bit last episode in the uh, tail end of the spoilers component of it. We did. And what it reminded me of, and I think I said this there rather flippantly, well, tumor of annihilation is clearly a rehash redo of Tomb of Horrors. I said that very flippantly. And that got me thinking about the killer adventures. Those adventures that... Um, they're kind of at that purpose built for high mortality rate, as the Tomb of Horrors was. So if you figured I'd chat through, you know, do we like them? Why why might they be made? What's the damn point to them? You know, what 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 defines it? So on and so forth. So, but before I go too far into this, Sean, would you say is Tomb of Annihilation a redo, a revisit, rehash of the Tomb of Horrors? I haven't read that far yet. Okay. So I don't I don't know what the end looks like. But I would say that there are elements to it that um, it's I mean, tra- th- trap heavy. Uh, uh, there's a couple, you know, encounters on the way that you're going to run into that are trappy. But okay. I don't know. I mean, I think some people are like, "Oh, well, it's too horrors. That's kind of what happens." So I don't know if it's just coincidence or what. I mean, obviously, it's taken after that. But I don't. I haven't gotten to where they get to the end, and it's. All right. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, a killer adventure. I define it as it's basically purpose built for high mortality rate. It is designed to permanently kill your characters. Um, I have encountered these in sci-fi games. <laughs> I've encountered these in uh, a uh, like a modern fantasy setting, like a vampire game or even an amber game that I, I've played in, where it just it's like purpose built. To grind. And I'm not even talking like the fun of a funnel from DCC, right? A funnel is designed to produce whatever's left of the four or six little uh, hapless PCs you have. The one that lives at the end is your character and off you go. There's a purpose to that. That's different. That purpose is a funnel down to the character and perhaps two that you have that are kick-ass. Those ones you'll play. A killer adventure is designed so that you have no characters left. However many characters you, Sean, brought into this game, they're all fucking dead by the end. The goal is just slaughter. And the other piece I think that goes into that definition is this design that way, in my experience anyway, to test the players. Almost every time, we maybe we should talk about traps again. I know we talked about traps in the past, but anytime I've encountered the killer adventure, a lot of it comes down to a challenge for the players, right? Making sure that they search every corridor, that they check everything for traps, that they find creative ways to open the door that they're pretty sure is trapped, um, that they don't <clears throat> go into the spaceship without doing X, Y, and Z first. And yeah, the the character knows to do some of that, but again, the character is simply the puppet for for the players to interact with the world. So it tends to be, in my experience a test of the players and how clever they are and if they can beat the adventure by coming out alive. Do you agree with me, Sean? I would have to say that it does 
lend itself to that situation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think there right. is a, yeah, I would have to say that you're removing yourself from role playing and hoping just to survive. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we may come up with a slightly, by the end of this, we may have uh, wandered off the definition and had to retune it or retool it as we talk, but I think we can start there, huh? Yeah, absolutely. So, I have read enough about the Tomb of Horrors because it's always been kind of a fascinating little piece of D&D lore. At there, one, is, there is a lot of people that have never, they I think they have heard of it. Oh, yeah. But I and think there's, there's a ton of people that have never gone through it. No, and uh, most, and there are people like I think uh, John Wick and other prominent game designers like it's crap, it's the worst fucking adventure, blah blah blah. Right. And there's other people like, no, it's amazing, it's amazing, it's so much fun, it's so deadly. Now, <laughs> Tim Hors, by Gary's own words, Gary Gygax, of course, his own words are like he was basically sick of people showing up at convention saying, "I beat your game, my character can survive anything." And he said, "Oh yeah, Tim Hors." And then um, he would, at least according to the to the narrative that he wrote, like once the characters would die, he'd be like, can I have the name and address of your home game master so I can write him a letter and tell him that Thagmar the Mighty is dead, that that, that, that character is no longer available for play type of thing? Because if you were so fucking arrogant that you're going to, you know, test me type of thing. I'm adding color to that. But the point is, if you read the, uh, the little intro he did to the Return to the Tomb of Horrors, the box set, which I actually, actually have a good time with. From bits and pieces of that over the years, he talks about that, and it was designed to challenge the players. You know, I have created a character, blah blah blah. And if you read Tomb of Horrors, a lot of it is it's all descriptive and so forth. And again, because it's first aid, first edition D and D, AD and D specifically, there's not a lot of mechanics, right? To help you get through some of the stuff. A lot of it is it's OSR, it's old school. How do you know there's a pit trap? We've talked about this before. You had better fucking narrate your way around it. You dump water on the floor. You roll marbles. You get flour. You poke with a pole. You have to be clever. And the way you're clever is you as a player have developed these clever approaches through many, many hours or days, years, months, weeks, whatever of play. So in your experience so far, has Tomb of Annihilation fit that type of approach or do you are you? I know you said you haven't gotten to the end, but does it feel like that? Does it feel like that's where it's headed? There was one there was one thing that the party had run into where it was challenging like that in a very short tra- trappy manner. I think you told me about that one. Yeah. Probably. Yes, you did. I thought yeah, it was you did. I mean now, it's funny. It's funny on the outside when is. you know the tr- when you know the answer. It's funny. It's la- It's I just I, I love <laughs> those things because I mean, if you put that in, so if you put that in in the somewhere in your kind of campaign or your ongoing saga, you're you're going to inevitably get to points where you just present a scenario or a situation to the party, and they're automatically going to freeze. Yeah. So the last time, you know, they came ac- they came to a ca- so in the last adventure session, they came to a chasm. Big wide spanning chasm, 100 and some feet up in the air. And there's a gap. So the bridge kind of has, you know, fallen away. So, you know, the the bridge describing it, which, you know, some of you will come across in your travels through the Tomb of Annihilation. You know, there's there's a stone statue in the middle of the bridge. And then there's walls lining the bridge with the certain, it depicts a certain picture. Well, I can already see my group going, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. It depicts a certain picture. Like what? Okay, but from my angle, can I see, is it, is it this? Is it that? Are they dwarves? Or Yeah. So, so it's it question, kinda, question, question, question. So it kind of arches and they have to get, so first thing they have to do is they have to get across this gap that's crumbled away. Okay. So it's, it's, so there's that. And then once they get on the bridge, you know, they probably will just, Hey, I'm going to walk across. So I'm not going to go any further because people listening to this is pro they're probably like, especially some game masters like, Whoa, Whoa, dude, time out. Don't say anything more. Um, 
But I mean, but it, it smacks of trap. It smacks of trick. It smacks of this can't be what well, it seems, right? May, maybe. Well, I'm just saying, as a player, I'm looking at that going, all right, hang on a second. I mean, that, that <laughs> depending how your group is, that could be two hours of them sitting there trying to figure out how to throw stones and tie ropes and all I put sorts a pic- of craziness. I, put a, I took a picture of of the the bridge and I put it up on Twitter and I say, hey, you need a break from DMing just put this in front of the party and walk away for about 10, 15 minutes as they decide what the hell they want to do. So it was a joke because we never start on time, right? We start 10 o'clock, everybody wanders in, we bullshit for about an hour until the last guy shows up and then we kick it off. So I told them next time I will have something presented to them where they can figure out what to do for the next hour and then we can actually move forward. Right? (laughs) That's funny. So I guess the other piece that kind of goes with the killer adventure when we talk to Mahors, it's trap laden. It is heavy duty traps. And um it, and the the pieces of it is that it is designed to kill you. Your characters do the wrong thing, they fall, they die. They do this thing, they lose body parts. They do this thing, they take obscene amounts of damage that they can't save from. Save or die type of scenarios. And as I said, I've I remember playing um I got a, my buddy John ran a GURPS game, a sci-fi GURPS game. <clears throat> and it was, it was a fucking, it was a killer adventure. The whole, it was just like, you know, hope, hope to God you make it. It was like trying to get off of, uh, you know, the Death Star or Cloud City Star Wars style, right? Except every, the, the stormtroopers could actually hit you. And there were lots and lots of them and they're all fucking ninja attack monkeys, right? It was just, holy shit. And he did that on purpose because he, you know, it was supposed to be a challenge. I'm like, challenge, Jesus Christ! And uh, but in your fantasy games, like Team Horrors, it's these things that because you, as the player, forgot to ask, your character stepped on the floor, um, and it exploded, and he takes 200 d10 damage. You're like, what? Yeah, dead, instant dead. Or they do this, they get instant super tetanus, they die. You know, they, whatever it is, <clears throat> it's a lot of that type of approach. So Sean, have you ever played Tomb Horrors? Have you been in it? Oh yeah. Did yes. you did you have fun? <laughs> did you have Dude, fun? I honestly don't remember it. I mean, I was <laughs> so God, long I ago. was a wee lad, man. That thing came out in like what, 1983, 84? No idea. Yeah, look that up. I will. Um, as I talk about cuz I so I have the dice box for Tomb Horrors that came out. It's like a, a dice tin and it has oh, Tomb of Annihilation, you mean? Tomb I'm sorry, Tomb of Annihilation, yes. And it's got the, the 1975 the, origins uh, came no, out. It was no. written for and used at the 1975 origins one convention. But when was it published? I don't know. I'm finding out. Because I don't Keep, think it. I don't. I think it might have been like a release for that con, but I doubt it was. Because I don't even know if AD and D was out then, man. Yes, Tomb of Horrors was revised in late 1977 for publication as an AD and D module. In wow. 78, okay. TSR Incorporated published the module with a monochrome cover. Oh, there you go. And two more is republished in 1981. Is a 32-page booklet and identical text, but new full color, the green cover, and blah blah. blah. Yeah, see, so that's what I knew of it as 81. Yeah. Holy shit, man! I was, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, but I showed him the the devil in the mouth. Yes. Right, and that's also on the dice bag. Yes, which I have. Yep, which we've been given. You know, from being at Gary Con, they were giving them away. So I said, everybody, I go, does any, do you guys remember what this is? And there, I mean, I have a, uh, my friend's wife has ne- not played D&D for 10, 20 years. So, you know, she's like, no. And then of course there was another guy at the table. He's like, no, no, I, I don't know what that is. And I said, anybody want to, want to enlighten them? And so we got into talking about Tomb of Horrors. Um, Yeah. But going into what you were saying is. You know, I would love to run that, have every do pre-gens or whatever. Anybody could write up. Well, it comes characters. It comes with pre-gens in the back. Yeah, but I know they have the right ones. I don't know. Well, they're gonna, it doesn't matter. They're going to die. Well. <laughs> I've run that module four different times and nobody's made it. Really? Nobody's made it. Nobody? No. Oh, no, 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 no. See, I would take up that challenge. So is that fun for you, though, I guess? And is it fun for you because you like, all right, the spirit is thing. It's a fucking killer. I'm in. I'm in. Let's just let's do this. 
let's pre-gen up and let's go in and see if we can live. Is that how you see it? Is it like a fun, crazy challenge to do? Well, I think at this point in time, yes. Back okay. in the back in the day, and here's the thing about running it back in the day. I know this be, is becoming more of Tomb of Horrors episode, but well, well, the thing is, when the Killer Dungeons were very not very popular, but a lot of them, Killer Adventures in general, were then, which in, kind of influenced a, a style of of play and different adventure creation, right? And they were just the thing. Sean and I have talked about this before. Like, hey, what do we play? Oh, I got a new module. What's it called? Two Mahors. Ah, oh, sounds great. What level do you need to be? Like 15th. Cool. I'll bring my 15th level fighter. I'll bring my 17th level mage. So that's the rub I'm going to is you took a long time to get to that level. Yes, you did. There were a lot of adventures, a lot of. Nobody 12, back, eight, nobody eight, back then, no. no one back then that I knew of ever did the. You know, oh, you've adventured long enough. Ding, you level. Ding, you level. No, no. Oh, you were adding experience points because everybody's experience point track was different. Right. You know. Yeah. So when you got to that point, not everybody would be the same level. And if they did, then you know that some had almost twice the amount of experience points as another. Because like yes. thieves could, thieves, I think you leveled up at like 1275 per level. Something like that. I can't remember. A lot quicker. And then I think clerics were the hardest or paladins or something were like 2,500 per level. It was tough. No, it was it was tough. So you could get like, you know, 10th level paladin and a 15th level fighter. You're like, oh, well. Right. Know. But take, yeah. it took a long time. Like yes. weekly for years. Yes. And you back in those days, I know we're reminiscent nostalgia wise and waxing, but, you know, you'd we'd play eight to 12 hour sessions. Oh, day. Yeah. You know, summers, we didn't work. We're kids. Of course. We played D&D all the time till we were tired of it, which is like <laughs> insane to me now. Um, But you go through the Tomb of Horrors and you take your 15th level character that you've been building up for the last, hope you know, maybe six months. I don't even know. Uh, a long time. And he picks the first wrong entry door and he and, dies. And the wrong, yeah. You're done. Give me a save. Like one die roll. Yeah. That's what it came down to. And if that, sometimes a DM would be like, I'm sorry, based on what you just did, because narrative, narrative, narrative. Right. Oh, you were doing this thing. Now you're fucking dead. But I, no, dead. <laughs> no, dude, this is what it does. This thing cuts your head clean off. You're dead. You're dead. Oh, okay. Oh, man. Poof. <laughs> Your character's gone and you'd go in there with at least, you know, say a party and you, everybody was like, we got to go in with like 10 guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to try to survive. Yeah. And so then guess, all of them were leveled up. So, so then you, you'd have these scrubs that you would have. So I hear you saying more fun now because you'd view it as the, as a challenge. Like, all right, we're going to try this thing. Bring up some pre-gens. Let's fucking go. I would probably, because I would probably laugh my ass off more than I ever have in that stupid module. Because <laughs> it's not funny when you're 12 or 13 and you've got a 15, your 15th level, like, kick-ass character, you know, just loaded up to the hilt with everything you can imagine in 15 levels of AD&D play, which you're talking probably plus five weapons. Yeah. Holy Avengers, Vorpal Swords. I remember, <coughs> so anyway, I, I think, hmm, I, I ran this at Evercon before, this is ages back before I ended up uh, helping to run the convention. Before you uh, became. Before I became Evercon. In charge. In charge. Oh God, why did I do that? <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> I ran it and we, my buddy Alf and I ran it as a um, a competition. We had different groups of cool. players who show up as adventurers. They went through this adventure challenge the players that scored the highest, they got to take those characters into the Tomb of Horrors because that was the, hey, hey, we got to go take care of this problem. So here you go, adventurers. And they fucking died. They died, 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 died. They had so much fun, though, because I believe one shot challenge there. These were not their real characters on the line. Right. Not the real characters on the right. line. Right. And there's very little investment if you're just going to do the pre-gens. You're going to roll them up for a con and do it as a one shot. I mean, yeah, it's a complete joke. You can laugh at them. You take an AL character, an Adventurer's League, yeah. organized play character, and you put them through. If this happened, you want to see the internet rage? You have Wizards of the Coast put out a Tomb of Annihilation or Tomb of Horrors based adventure in Adventurer's League at like 10th level. 
at the same, you, you hear the you hear the meat grinders <laughs> at the same lethality, and you are gonna get you're gonna have players lose their ever freaking mind. Well, I think, and this is funny because when you've talked to um, some OSR folks, some of the the men and women and, and folks who are into that, they're like, "Yeah, so what? My character dies on a fucking snowflake. Who gives I, a shit?" That's true. Thagmar, the 15th level cleric. Yeah, she's dead. Whatever. I'll make a new one. I'm a little angry, a little frustrated <laughs> that I did, I wasn't smart enough to get through, uh, you know, Brett and Sean's amazing, you know, star, Ma- star planet of death. Of death. Yeah. But hey, you know what? That's that's what we're here for. We had a good time. Roll a new one. That's true. That's very true. But so, some folks, some folks really get it. And I think it's. But they're not freaking 13 and they haven't, like, I'm telling you, it's different now. Oh, like, dude, I, I told the story when AJ's first character died, when Connor's first <laughs> character died. There were tears. There was, I'm not playing this fucking game anymore attitude. There was, that no one was swearing. They were too young for that. But they were not happy. They were not happy at all. Didn't help that AJ was the one that killed Connor's character. But anyway, it was, it was not good. Yeah. Because they're upset. Right. And you've told the story about a buddy of yours used to flip tables and get really Jeff, angry. Jeff's in my Tomb of Annihilation <laughs> game. Is he throwing his books outside yet? <laughs> Not yet. It's still TBD. Potential. That's that's the goal of me running a game with those yahoos is to get Jeff. So right now it's oh. October as we record this. I'm not. They're not even halfway through the module. You want him throwing his stuff in the snow. My goal is by January, his books are in three feet of snow. <laughs> Because he's so pissed off because I kill his freaking guy. Now, I, apart from – so let's let's put that aside. I think sometimes the, these are built – like you could do a Gary Gygax and you could build it just simply because um, – very hyperbole here, folks, but it's kind of like, fuck you, try to beat this, right? You could build it as the challenge. Bring your characters in, see what happens. You could build it as, you know, it's a legitimate part of your play style or whatever it is. But I think a piece of that, when you get to a killer adventure, and like I said, my buddy John running his <laughs> sci-fi GURPS game of death, it was a player challenge. It had very little to do with the characters. Now, granted, we had these great GURPS characters with amazing powers and, and different you know, laser guns and vibro blades and armor and skills and whatever, who are still on to us as players to seriously um, figure out how best to use all those things in the right order, plus whatever narrative pieces. And I think it's a lot of these these things are really player challenging. And I'll tell you what, I would I would hazard to say, John Arcadian probably doesn't listen to us, but I, I would say it to his face, his Tarrasque game that he runs at cons is a killer adventure. It's the goddamn Tarrasque. And I, like I played this last this last Queen City Conquest, my daughter's character dead. You know, my my one of my other characters dead. One of AJ's dead. It it, it it's it's tough. It's freaking tough as hell. The scenario is made, and these are again, it's a challenge, and they're thirteenth, fifteenth, seventeenth level characters, and they're dying because it's a challenge for me as the player to figure out how to use all the stuff that this character has. And even if um, even if you're not you know overly narrative about it, even if you're only using just the stuff on the character sheet, it's like, did I remember to? Do my search roll? Did I remember the check for traps roll? Did I remember a perception check at disadvantage, even though did I remember this stuff? And it's really on you because in a true killer adventure style, the game master is as neutral as they can be. Like, look, if you beat it, you beat it. If you don't, you're dead. And that's the only way to really do it as a game master is you have to be as non-malevolent as possible in my opinion, need to be incredibly neutral. When I ran two mores the last time was at Evercon and the kids are going through it. They're all like teenagers and they're walking through it. And <laughs> I was like, so what do you do? You sure? Okay, good. What do you do? You sure? Okay. Like, all right, fine. Fine, Brett. We're sure. We're sure. Boom. Damn it. Lost him. Damn it. Lost him. Oh, she's dead too. Son of a bitch. So, <laughs> excuse me. It was very much though. I had to be, in my opinion, as impartial as possible. I would describe things, try to be dramatic as I could to make it interesting, but the adjudication was like it, it, it's black and white, or it's as you know dealing with it as fairly as possible because otherwise it turns into you're doing this, you you Brett or you Sean or you game master, and you are killing us, right? And if you are as fair as possible, and this is what you let the dice fall where they may type of thing. I rolled all the dice in front of everybody just to show them it wasn't me. 
If I roll a 12 or higher, this thing's going to hit you. Clack, 13. Sorry, dude. Oh, shit. That does 28 points of damage. Oh, I only had so much left. I'm dead. Next. You know, but I really think it's from the GM side, you need to be as impartial as possible. On the player side, I think you need to just really understand the fact that this is a challenge to you and your fellow players. And metagaming, quite frankly, is on the table. It really is. If oh, Sean yeah. rem- if Sean remembers that I've got the bag of holding and Bob's got the portable hole, and the only way to do something is, Bob, give that portable hole to Brett. Brett, fucking cram the two together. Look, oh, cause explosion. I don't care. Fuck it. All right, good call. Blam. You have to do that stuff. Anytime I've played those or run those, everybody's leaning over looking at everybody else's character sheet. It's my turn. Uh, hang on. What, what do you got? Don't you have the? Oh, shit. Do you have Do you have one of these? It's metagaming phenomenal everywhere around you, at least yeah. in my experience, because you got to have it. You have to. It is to beat the thing. That's one of the only times I've ever seen a role-playing game that's honestly a competition. Can I beat this adventure? And I beat it by getting out alive. (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I could run one as... If I ran it for the climax of a campaign, yes. Like, hey, you went through this, this, and this, and this. At the end of it, you were had to go through, you know, the tomb of horrors. The tomb of horrors, which is basically set in a Death Star, run by a horrible, near dead, uh, Chaos Lord Vader guy. Okay, fine, you do that, and you all died. That's okay. It's the last adventure. If you all died, hey, guess what? You died. You died. God damn, we didn't beat. We didn't beat the campaign. Oh, we had a good run, but it can't. I don't think I could like throw it in the middle of something. It'd have to be the ending. If I was going to do it now to like people have been playing their characters for a while. Yeah, I would. Yeah, it's the it's the big way to go out if you end up going out. Yeah. Like right now with <clears throat> excuse me, Tomb of Annihilation, I think it's set for six players or six characters, whatever it is. I don't remember. And I've there's one, two, three, four, five, five players. And each one, except for one, has two characters. Smart. So there's eight, nine, nine player characters. Now, I should tell them, and I, I thought I kind of hinted at it, but I should probably be clear about it. Is once one person, once one of their player characters die, they're they're off the table. But I had Joe, one of Joe's guys, die, and he recreated one, and you know that's fine. Brought okay. it into the, his story, but that's why I'm not pulling any punches, man. Everything I'm rolling is like, here's my little die tray, Jeff. You're sitting next to me. Look what I rolled. Clatter, so, clatter. You clatter, fucked. clatter. You're you're. That's it. You so, boned. But I mean, it's also a system where it's like, well, you get three death saves. You got some type of healing somewhere. It's not oh, yeah. that that easy to die. Well, you could do extreme damage. There's um meat grinder mode. Well, not not just meat grinder mode. You look in the actual rules themselves. If you do a, like yes. double hit points, people fucking die. Right. So you can track that shit and you can kill people off by massive right. damage. Yes, massive damage. Right. I'm just going off standard rules, but yes. But anyways, we'll see how this goes. It it'll be interesting to find out who started because we're only playing we're playing once a month. Yeah, and who gets and who makes it and who ends up at the end? Like who st- who landed in Chult? And is actually standing at the end of this. If anybody. Interesting. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. When you're talking about preparing people. We've talked about Session Zero and, and different things like that over the years here. One of the other things to do is like, you know, look, I've got a campaign planned. There's a big adventure at the end. It's going to be tough. You know, I don't know if everybody, if you guys make it, you may or may not even get out of it alive. But it's going to be a do or die type of thing. That's I want to run a do or die campaign. All right. Sounds good. So when they get there and they are at, you know the Death Star of Horrors set on SETI Alpha 5. And, oh, my God, <clears throat> it, we're in. Okay, he told us, she told us right out of the gate that she was uh, going to run a no-holds-barred. Y'all fucked. All right, guess it's no-holds-barred. We're all fucked. Let's get in there. And I think if you, that's, again, how I would, if I'm going to run it, it would be like at the end of the campaign. It would be telling people when you get to this end, <clears throat> either tell them up front or as it progresses, as you are developing your campaign arc, you say, you know what needs to happen here at the end? 
Death Star of Horrors. Sounds great. Okay. Then you start planning and showing people that when you get to the Death Star of Horrors, you're going to die. You probably will die. Chances are you'll die. Everyone else who's done it has died. You sure you might die? You probably will die. You forecast that. And by the time they get there, like, yep, I have made peace with my space god, and I'm here to try to not die. They're ready to roll. <laughs> made peace with my space god. Exactly. Like Space Google. As remember you, remember as Space you, Google? Oh, my God. <laughs> These yahoos. <laughs> We'll get on Space Google and check that out. Space Google. Anyway, so I think I know some people have no fun doing these types of uh, killer adventure, that that type of thing. They don't view it as a challenge because it's not fun to them. And I think the um, the only time I've won somebody over was I said, look, let's I'm going to make pregens. And we'll just do it for for and just have fun doing it. And it became not necessarily silly. But it wasn't a heavy role-playing event. No. It was a very beer and pretzels, you know, as my dad would say. You know, that was just, it was an evening to do something and y'all going to die. Whatever. Don't care. And just about everybody who did that was like, look, we can either play Talisman or this. And most of my friends are like, I ah, fuck Talisman. Let's play two mores. <laughs> because <laughs> they don't like Talisman all that much. But anyway, I think it's, um, I think it can be fun. I do need to be in the right mindset or it needs to be set up properly and it could be a blast. Because personally, I don't care if my characters die. It doesn't phase me. <laughs> That's what. But then again, I always stay in the spaceship anyway, so it's hard to kill me. And Brett's always running the game anyway. So he doesn't care. He's the one doing the, the mass damage. Yeah, it's more fun to dish it out than to have it dished upon you. That's right. I've, I've noticed that. <laughs> I have noticed that. Now I've played more and more over the last few years. So yeah, it's more fun to have dish it out than to get it dished upon you. Yeah, because Brett's guys are always going to live to some degree. I mean, some. if they die, it's not a big deal because Brett's got more. I got a whole world full of people. It's crazy. Yeah. Arg. Anything else on this one, man? Oh, no. But it does bring back some fond memories of, man, Watch maybe I'll maybe have to whip this sucker out during Game Hole Con. I don't know if I can be, I don't know. I don't know how long it would take to run. I don't, it's, I know it's not very thick and it's not very big. It takes a long, my experience is that it it was like um what I ran it for four plus hours with a group of four, six six players. The problem is is that with these types of modules, and we hinted at it earlier, is that when you get them in front of a door, they will lock up at the door. It's like man, they'll talk about that thing for an hour. Especially after the last two doors blew Timmy, <laughs> Barbara, and Mary's head clean off. Right. Like wow, um. Uh, the fighter, thief, and the cleric are fucking dead. You want to open that door? That's the only way out of here, isn't it? I don't know. You want to open that door? You know, it's... it's it, set, it sets a tone. I'll tell you oh, what. Man, it sets a tone. It does indeed. Like, Chad... I think I mentioned this in one episode. Chad Parrish's uh, first edition AD&D game at GaryCon. We didn't even get through the first freaking encounter because we we there was a door and there was light that was emanating from somewhere we couldn't tell but it was basically glowing the end of a hallway and we were like well we're not I'm not walking into that damn glowing thing like we were automatically in like paranoia mode and I don't even know if anything happened at this point. Well, the cool, th <laughs> the interesting piece. So again, if it's set up right, I'd be like, look, we're gonna play two horrors. Y'all gonna die? Right. You ready? <laughs> don't 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 wuss out on me, people. When you get in here, play. Okay. The goal is to try to get as far as you can. But it's always uh, it's always going to be para analysis paralysis. It can be, which is why you uh, do other horrible things to people to kick them along. So, <laughs> oh lord, oh god. <laughs> all right, I, let's all right. Let's get into die roll. Let's move it on. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right, die roll. All right, Brettster. Go well, ahead, man. Speaking of old school classics, I picked up one. Sean stole my other one. But uh, Goodman Games in the Isle of Dread, little link in the show notes. They're, um, they did um, they did their reincarnated. They did the Into the Borderlands. Uh, nice big hardcover. I grabbed a copy of that. So they're doing uh, reincarnated to the Isle of Dread, which would be kind of fun. So they got a little hints on maps and some of the stuff they're working on there. So looks pretty neat. Isle of Dread was my first encounter with hex mapping back of the day with uh, Experts at D&D. And uh, I had a lot of fun running that. I could not figure out necessarily how all the hex rules worked. At the time, I was just 
in high school trying to quick quickly read through outdoor adventures, whatever. But it was a lot of fun um, busting through it and just this whole jungle environment. It was a good time. So I'm looking forward to grabbing that. Well, somebody in my Tomb of Annihilation game said that Chult is supposed to be kind of based off the Isle of Dread adventure, but I don't I don't remember Isle of Dread that well, so I don't know. God, it's been forever. Yeah. But- Isle of Dread had the little um like flying monkey people that reminded me a lot of these Aryans from uh, Star Frontiers. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Over to you. All right. So my first one, Modifius. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Modifius Publishing, they're the ones that have made um, Star Trek Adventures, Conan, um, a couple of a few others. I'm sure I'm missing. Uh, I think they did uh, Mutant Year Zero or Year One, whatever. Year Zero. Zero. Year Zero. Yeah, I can always say Year One. Um, they are accepting pre-orders for Cult. This Divinity, is the one. You, this is the one you stole from me. Divinity Lost. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I tweeted it out. Brett probably like, oh, you tweeted that. I'm going to put that in die roll. No, I uh, saw a couple people tweet. I'm like, fuck, really? That thing's back. So there's a video trailer on their website. There's There'll be a link to the video trailer as well as their page to pre-order. So if you're not familiar with Cult, I mean, they, I think they put a warning out on this one. Mature content warning materials only suitable for audiences of uh, UK 18, uh, USAR. The, um, I was reading through it, and Cult had kind of a, a weird... I think it was a Scandinavian game originally, but it had, uh, it deals with some pretty like triggery type of stuff. Assault, abuse. I mean, it's pretty hardcore horror in a, in a way that not everybody's very comfortable with. So this is one of those things where if you, if you're like, wow, a new horror game, boy, that seems kind of interesting. I would uh, definitely warn you that you don't do something foolish and spend money on a game that might creep you right the hell out or that you're like, wow, um, I don't know anybody who would play this <laughs> type of thing. Do do a little homework on it because it is um, all, all everything I've heard is that it's a good game. It's it's fun. People like the mechanics. Blah blah blah. But the subject matter um, is a bit much for some folks. Yeah. Uh, second one, Savage Worlds Kickstarter coming October sixteenth, twenty eighteen, noon Eastern time. It is now known as the Adventure Edition. So Savage Worlds has gone through a couple iterations, but really hasn't changed very much at all from, you know, to where it is going today. But Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So look for that. That's going to blow up. I guarantee it. Everybody, Savage Worlds fans are going to just go nuts on that thing. Well, they had the little adventures book, the small soft cover, then they went to Deluxe. Right, yep. the hardcover. I think I still have my deluxe. So copy. deluxe is the so Savage Worlds and Savage Worlds Deluxe. There were rule modifications. Yes, there were some. Yes, yes. And then this one will have some even uh, other tweaks, which in the link in the show notes we'll talk a little bit about uh, just a couple examples of what they're like some of the test changes they're making. And then the last one I put I mentioned earlier was Dale Kingsmill um, on YouTube. Um, her channel, at least as it relates to D and D, she's got a few other things that are on there, but you know, I'll check those out, different ways to narrate certain things. And, uh, Oh, this is where RPG. I've seen, this is where I heard this name before. Matt Colville is a big fan of, of hers as well and has posted his stuff uh, or her stuff on his YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Pointed over her. She's had some overland travel, uh, critical roles, uh, Beastmaster Ranger creating towns. Yeah. She's got some pretty cool stuff. I've, peaked at a couple of her videos in the past and uh, always very cool. Yeah. So that's it. That's what I have for this week. Brett, what are we talking about next week, dude? We're talking about maps and mapping. So um, Sean and I have touched on how we describe rooms and other things over the past few years, so we're going to get a little bit more into maps and mapping and uh, some of our thoughts around it. So that'll be next. Yeah. Actually, I have a topic ahead of time. It's fucking amazing. That's what that is. Yeah. All right, Brett. I'm doing do what I can. Well, excellent. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Put a fork in this guy. All I'm right. Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night and good game at all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers: Handy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs, Wayne Humphleet, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, 
The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Freilich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, JV, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Braslett, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skange, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Petiri Tertienen, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Shorts, Angus, Rolfer Guild, Gordon Cranford, Eric Salzweedle, Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bontz, Palladian, Ron Blessing, Brian Kurtz, Knights of the Night Crew, Laramie L. Wall, Kevin Lovecraft, Evan Harrison Cass, and Malcolm Cool. And Blake Ryan! For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.